You may be seated. Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church, and I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 95. We're just saying Psalm 45, or at least the first few verses of it, which with so many psalms call our hearts to burst forth with praise to God. And so does Psalm 95. And so in our series on worship this summer, we'll be considering this morning how we might worship the Lord with all our hearts. This is Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. (coughs) Excuse me. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, As on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, teach us what it means to make a joyful noise to you, to worship and bow down to you, what it means for you to be our God and for us to be your people, that we might Approach you not with hardened hearts, with hearts overflowing with faith and love and thanksgiving. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we engage in something or pursue something, all too often where we start affects everything else that comes after. This works in so many things. You can think about it in terms of logic, where logic is a great and wonderful tool, a reason and, and understanding, but where you start with your logic can dictate where you go, and it's not always to a good place. Help me out. Finish this for me. All dogs are blue. I have a dog, therefore my dog is which you know, if you've ever seen my dog, he is 
brown, so brown he just hides in the dark. You can't see him. He can sneak up on you. But he is definitely not blue. And I've not seen very many blue dogs, and I know for a fact all dogs are not blue. But where we started dictated where we finished. And we started in a bad place with a false presumption that all dogs are blue. This, this works just in silly things in life. Uh, back in the days when movie theaters weren't digital, friends of mine went to go see Dead Poets Society, and they got the reels mixed up and showed the end, the reveal, the tragedy at the beginning. And the movie just had no force of emotion to them at all. And they were very confused how this could possibly win any Academy Awards, much less be nominated for any. And it came out later with apologies from the person who ran the theater that they had gotten it backwards. It works with recipes. It might affect your career. Where you start can affect everything that follows. And this is true with worship, too. Where you start affects everything else. And what this psalm puts before us and calls us to is this, that right worship begins in the heart. We're going to look at that and see three things that this psalm teaches us. The first is this. The psalm calls us to worship the Lord with true and real enthusiasm that flows from the heart. This is important because all too often when we think about worship, when we enter into worship, when we engage in worship, we start somewhere else. We start with the rules and doctrines for worship. Or we start with the, the atmosphere and how we should feel Or or we start with the, the ritual and the things that we do. And when we do this, we empty worship of all its power. I have warm season grass in my yard, which is glorious because it means for most of the year I don't have to use my lawnmower. But when I put it away in the shed, I winterize it as the instructions indicate. But then when summer comes again and it's time to get it back out, sometimes I forget. And it doesn't matter when you've winterized a lawnmower. It doesn't matter how hard you try to pull the crank. It doesn't matter how angry you get at it. It doesn't matter what you say to the lawnmower. It's just not going to start until you remember to turn the little knob for the fuel shutoff. If the lawnmower doesn't have any fuel, it'll never run. It will never have power. And when we approach worship, when we start with with just how we think about worship, worship will become for us just an intellectual exercise, a curiosity that will have no power. When we start with worship as as just an atmosphere, a feeling, then then it will become manipulative, always with us trying to get to a certain place in our emotions or with the people leading worship trying to get us to the place they would have us be. When we start with just ritual, it can become this empty going through the motions. And in every case, it lacks power. This psalm calls us 
to sing, to make a joyful noise, to come into the presence of God with hearts overflowing with thanksgiving, to come to worship and bow down in humility, to kneel before our God, to offer to our God this worship that is characteristic of the whole person, body and soul being overcome the glory of who He is. Being willing to offer to Him every praise, every thanksgiving, and every adoration that He deserves. And it doesn't leave us wondering what the fuel for that sort of worship is. And it can't be reduced to rules or to feelings or to ritual. The reason we can come to God with joy, the reason we can come into his presence with thanksgiving, the reason we can come and worship and bow down before him is, is told to us in this psalm, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God. Let us enter his courts with thanksgiving, for our Lord is a great God. The, the fuel that drives this enthusiastic worship. It's hearts that behold the greatness and the glory of a God who is not a God who is far off, who is not a God who is disconnected, but who is a God who is our God. Who is great as the creator of all things. He, in his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of his mountains are his also. The sea is his for his, he made it. He made us. But not just to be this landscape, but he made us to be his people. We are the sheep of his hand. He holds us close and dear. He's not just our creator. He is our redeemer. And he calls us into his presence not to be people who just want to rehearse the rules, not just to be people who who want to come and, and have a certain experience, not just to be people who go through the motions and leave and go about their day, but to be people who in their hearts, in the core of who they are, or when the Bible speaks of the heart, that's what it means. The very center of your being, you're people who behold him for who he is. To consider him great. And our hearts can't contain it, but they overflow with joy and thanksgiving and humility and praise. What is the posture of your heart to the Lord? Do you feel disconnected in worship? You can perhaps recite the Ten Commandments, the shorter catechism, questions and answers. You know what is true and what is right, but you come into the presence of God, you join with His people, you come to His table, you open His Word, and He seems far off. Could it be? The reason is not that our Lord is far off, but that your heart has not been captured are the truths of the doctrines you hold. You enter into his presence 
when you feel cold. You feel as if the Lord does not hear you, as if he does not care about you. And you sing words, but your heart is like a stone. They fall from your lips like iron to the floor. Could it be that you have sought not the Lord to be lifted up in your heart, but for your heart to be captured by just a a certain emotion or a way of feeling, and you've lost sight how deeply your God cares for you. That he would say that we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand, that he holds us close and he will not let us go, that he bids us to call him our God, to lay claim to him in that way. Does that not overwhelm you with his heart towards you? with his love and compassion and care and grace for you? Could it be that the reason that you are cold in your worship is not because the Lord hasn't answered your cries, because you've closed your heart to who he is for you? The Lord Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Could it be that as we enter into worship and we go through the motions and we stand and we sit and we read and we respond and we sing and we come to the table and we go about and we leave and nothing in our lives ever seems to change? Could it be that while we were going through all of those motions and thinking about the memo that we need to send first thing on Tuesday morning, or what it is that we're cooking this afternoon for dinner, or while we're occupied with so many other thoughts and concerns that our hearts have not been engaged, who our God really is. That it's been revealed that our treasure is not with the Lord Jesus, but our hearts are with our work or with our hobbies, or with our TV shows, or with whatever. Worship, right worship, enthusiastic worship, must begin in hearts that behold the glory of who their God is. How strange, then, that this psalm takes a turn It seems very harsh, but there is in it a warning. And this is the second thing I'd like us to consider this morning, that that this psalm offers us a caution. That trial, suffering, and difficulties in this life will reveal what our hearts really worship, no matter what we may say or think. It's easy to go through the motions of worship when things are good. It's easy to tell God how great he is when when life is just running along at 100%. It's easy to worship when it's easy. But when things are difficult, 
when all the comforts are stripped away, the reality of what captivates our heart is often laid bare. Israel's experience in the wilderness is bookended by two encounters, Meribah and Massa, as this psalm names them. These two encounters where they found themselves in the wilderness without water. And that's a terrible place to be, in the desert with no water. They were right to be concerned. But these were people who had seen God part the waters of the Red Sea so that they could pass through on dry ground and enclosed them upon the armies of Egypt so that Pharaoh could have no power over them again. These were the people who saw God lead them in a pillar of Cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. These were the people who saw God provide them food with manna in the morning, quail for meat. These were the people who saw God do great and mighty and glorious things. And the first sign of trouble when there was no water to be found, rather than turning to him and crying out to him, knowing that he was able to answer their cries, and willing because of his great love for this people, they grumbled and groused and complained because they had hearts that believed that God served them. They treated God like a server in a restaurant. That when everything was going well and the food was coming out and everything was piping hot and delicious, I'm going to give you a big tip because you've been great, God. I'll worship you. But if something was a little late, if somebody spilled a drink, if, if the food was a little cold, if, if the wrong order came out, oh, I'm going to get you. I might even just walk out without paying at all, Lord, because you've, you've, you've forgotten to serve me. And in this, their hearts were revealed to be so idolatrous that they got worship backwards. That worship was was not for them an opportunity to come into God's presence, overflowing with thanksgiving and praise for who he is and what he's done. It was an opportunity to come in and pat God on the head and say, good job for giving me all the stuff that I wanted. Here, the Lord begins speaking in the psalm and says words that ought to strike fear. And all who have ears to hear, for 40 years I loathed that generation. Because their hearts were always going astray. Their hearts were never captivated by the Lord. God made us in His image to be His people. To be people after His own heart. And when we allow our hearts to become captivated by idols and selfishness and wickedness and rebellion and unbelief, God looks upon that as a corruption and a perversion of what he's called and made us to be, and he loathes it. We were made to find our rest in him. We were made to find our refreshment and peace and joy and hope in Him. When our hearts turn astray, 
and embrace idols of our own making, we'll never find his rest. What has the brokenness and fallenness and misery of this world revealed about what really captivates your heart? Maybe you are like me, and you think, I'm going to show my family how much I care about them and cook them these, this special thing on the grill that I actually hate to make. And when it doesn't go the way I want, I get angry at them. Because my heart has lifted myself up as God. Maybe you've received a diagnosis. Maybe you've received word about a promotion at work. Maybe you have been turned down for this, that, or the other. Maybe you have endured hardship or broken relationships. And you are looking to the Lord, not in humble faith, seeking His help, His rest, His peace but in anger and frustration and bitterness. Why, God, would you do this to me? Don't you know who I am? Have you forgotten who he is? Have you forgotten all that he has done for you? Have you lost sight of what he's called and made you to be. Today, you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did. Instead, hear him. For at the very center of the psalm in verse 7 is the whole point and the whole message that our God is the sort of God who is constantly calling the hearts of his people back to him. Doesn't matter who you are, or what you've done, or where you've been. We have this tendency to withdraw from God when we think things aren't going well, or or when we feel he's displeased from us. And we are like a, a child who is desperately sick, turning his face away from the medicine he thinks tastes so bad, and yet has all the healing in it. We turn away from the Lord, but this psalm invites us to turn towards him. His voice is calling out. Don't harden your hearts against it. And his voice is calling out during the time that it's called today. The time today began to the time today ends. The voice of the Lord is going out and calling out to his people. Return to me. Turn your hearts to me. And see how patient he is. He bore with these people who put him to the test, who had no regard for him for 40 years in the wilderness. He is not quick to anger, slow and abounding in loving kindness. He speaks today and calls to us today Know who I am. Know how great that my love and care for you is. 
that not only are you the sheep of my pasture, you're the, the sheep of my hand. I will not let you go. If you run astray, I will leave the others and come and seek and find you. Even as the Lord Jesus came to seek and save the lost sheep, his people. Even as he came and gave himself for us that we might have nothing to stand between us and returning to the Lord. And so the call goes out again and again and again. Hear him. Return to him. Turn your hearts to him afresh and anew. And learn again what it means to worship the Lord with true enthusiasm, transformed hearts. What would it look like for you to worship the Lord with all your heart. You might seek to recognize him for who he really is and not for who you've caricatured him to be. He is not our little servant boy. He's not our waiter running about filling our orders. He is the God who made all things, the great king above all gods. He made the depths of the seas and the heights of the mountains, and he holds them all in his hand. He is glorious in majesty and power. We should not presume upon his kindness. But he's a shepherd as well, who loves his sheep and cares for them and defends them from the wolf and the lion and the bear. His sheep know his voice, and they follow him. He's gentle with them. He cares for them. He frees them from the thorns. He seeks them out when they fall into the ditch. Puts them on his shoulders when they are too weak to walk themselves because he is kind and compassionate and gracious like a father to his children. He can't be caricatured. He is glorious in might and infinite in love. Maybe. Our hearts need to recognize him for who he really is. We ought to respond when he calls. The most dangerous place that you can be in this life is a place where you no longer hear the Lord calling you back into his fold. Where you have become so hardened towards him, you will have nothing to do with him. And so it's not time for you to fix yourself up. It's not time for you to put off till tomorrow. While it's today, if you hear his voice, respond. Because in him, it's all renewal. In him is daily recreation, where he remakes us every day after his likeness and image that we might grow more and more to be like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to realize that the rest that he calls us into, even as the author of Hebrews recognizes, that rest is more than the promised land. Otherwise, why would David talk about this rest in this way? They'd already entered in the promised land. This rest is so much more. It is rest, as the Lord Jesus says, for our souls. 
It is rest for all eternity. It is rest from trying to earn God's favor. It is rest from fearing his wrath. It is rest knowing that we are at peace with God now and forever because of what he has done for us. And his call is to enter that rest. His invitation is to step into it fully, boldly, completely to rest in the pasture he set aside for us because of what he's done. Free of charge, without condition. These are things that can't be done just by ritual. These are things that can't be reduced to mere doctrine. These are things that that can't even be measured with particular emotions or states of mind. These are things that ought to be so glorious they bring us to the end of ourselves that leave our hearts in awe. And hearts that are in awe of God, they can't hold it in. They burst forth with joyful noises of praise. They overflow with thanksgiving for all that God has done. They bow before Him in humble awe. He's our God. We're His people. We worship from our hearts. May God work this in us for his glory. Heavenly Father, show us afresh and anew who you are, that we might be a people who overflow with praise and thanksgiving and worship. Help us to repent of all these times that we've reduced worship down to ritual or doctrine or atmosphere and feeling. Help us to see that it's so much more because you are so much more. Accomplish this for your glory that all who see and hear our worship of you might be amazed at our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.